Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. All right, we can clap for that. I don't know about you, if um, you grew up in youth group, you know how absolutely important youth group is. If um, you didn't have the um, privilege of growing up in youth group, then uh, that's all the more reason to help fund this mission. So we um, shared that as part of giving back this morning so that you can see some of the ways in which your money is making ministry happen here at Grace Community Church. So thank you to those of you who consider this your church home and for your faithful giving. Uh, Your tithes and offerings really make this thing run. And as we close out the year, I want to invite you to give generously. Um, We are hoping to finish the year as strongly as possible. And that really happens as we join with Jesus on his mission here in the city of Guelph and fund it together. So thank you to Pastor Steve and to all of those leaders who helped to make Sunday night Bible study happen. It was really fun for me just as a dad to uh, see my 16-year-old son insisting on being driven up to grace on a Sunday night, interrupting my Sunday night football um, so that he can go and study God's word. And so I am happy to miss the start of Sunday night football for the sake of our youth. So that's pretty cool. Um, One thing to draw to your attention before I start preaching this morning, my name is Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. It's really fun that I have to start saying that again. We have been seeing new people every single week for the last six weeks at this physical service. And this morning, we launch our second service back up at Grace North at 11 a.m. And there are a bunch of people coming to that service who I haven't seen since March. And we know that you are beginning to invite your friends to come back to church. So with that in mind, we have redeployed our welcome packages you'll be able to uh, begin using those in the coming weeks. If you are with us from our days at Grace North exclusively, you remember what those look like. There's a beautiful watercolor along with a welcome letter from me. And uh, we mean for you to be able to keep that watercolor on your fridge to remember our church or to put it somewhere with pride of place. Um, We really worked hard to make it something beautiful and memorable. So if you happen to come with somebody new on a Sunday, make sure that you avail yourselves of those. And also this morning, you may have noticed that our bulletins are redeployed. And uh, that is really exciting. We have the bulletins so that people who are checking out our community for the first time can quickly get up to speed on what's happening at Grace. If this has been your church for a long while, you know to check the website, you know that everything is there on the announcements page, you're probably on our email list. But when you come to a church for the first time, it often helps to grab a piece of collateral. So we work hard to um, make it quite beautiful. On the back is uh, some general information about our church. And on the front for the month of December, you will see some key events and there's some room for some monthly intentions. I know that in our digital age, you may not be in the habit of uh, using something analog like this, but I want to invite you to try it. Maybe write down one thing that you're intending to do this month and uh, put that on your fridge where you can see it. If you have kids in the house, it's a really good um, lesson point for them to kind of see that mom and dad are also learning to become more and more and more like Jesus following that intention that you have written. So we're literally not leaving that space for no reason. We want you to go ahead and use it. So thank you to uh, Becky and Nina who made that happen. I'm just so, so excited to have to be redeploying these tools as we slowly work our way through this plague year. I get to finish our series in the book of Micah today. I freaked Nina out a little bit. I asked her if I had my Christmas flourish for my pulpit, and she reminded me that it's not yet Advent, even though in the Christian calendar we begin Advent today. Today is the first Sunday in Advent. Next week, I'll be beginning our Advent series. It's titled The Sun. And we're going to explore some of the different aspects of who Jesus was. And uh, I hope to help you figure out what that means for you today. What does it mean that Jesus was son of Abraham? What does it mean that he was the promised Messiah? What does it mean that he was God made 
flesh. So uh, the sun kicks off next week, and we'll be in that Advent series for the four weeks in December. But for today, we get to uh, finish the book of Micah. I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's been really fun for me to uh, work through it. And as always, I hope that you uh, experience the Lord speaking to you today as we work our way through the text. I wonder if you um, ever run a self-inventory. Did you ever do that? You run like a self-check? Maybe you check your intentions like we've just spoken about with our bulletin. Maybe you examine your motivations. You run a self-inventory. Maybe you have somebody who helps you with that. My wife helps me with that. My friend Chris Jones helps me with that sometimes. My dad helps me with that. Pastor Brian has become someone that I'm learning to trust relationally, and he sometimes can help me with my intentions. Jeff Lampkin, the chairman of our board, is somebody who helps me with my self-inventory. Did you ever do that? Wave at me if you ever run a self-inventory. I do it fairly frequently. The more um, your sin nature has yet to bow the knee to Jesus, the more likely you are to need to run a self-inventory frequently. So I find that... um, I'm nowhere near surrendered enough to Jesus yet that I can stop running these self-inventories. These kind of things usually involve asking yourself tough questions. Like, should I really have that third piece of chocolate cake? Of course, tough questions are usually tougher than that. But all joking aside, to want the third piece of cake speaks to something deeper in your heart. And there probably actually is a tough question that underlies that question. Who asks you the tough questions in your life? In today's text, we find five questions that you can ask yourself on your way to living a best ever kind of life. And question number five today, the last one that we'll come to in our text, is definitely one of those tough questions. Hear the words of Micah 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly have perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. Doesn't that sound like our culture? So much like our culture. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. 
a day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. And here we come to today's portion. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Cam or Brian, if I could ask you to um, back my gain off a little bit on my mic. It's seeming so loud to me that I'm having to uh, really manage how I speak, and that's freaking me out. Thank you. That's better. We have here in chapter 7 the closing thoughts from Micah. I wish I could preach on the whole chapter. Did you see all the beautiful movements in that chapter, all the moments of exaltation? The story is ending here. Victory is coming. The tide is turning. That's what's happening in Micah chapter 7. I hope that you can receive that hope in your life today. The tide is turning. There will be an end to troubled days. This is one of the great and essential messages of all of Scripture. The end is near, and that's not a bad thing. It's, in fact, a very good thing. Relief is on its way. Closing thoughts from Micah. And as I said, we have five questions I want to examine here in verses 18 through 20. Question number one. Is God your God? That's the first question I want you to ask yourself as you look to build a best ever kind of life. Is God your God? We get this from verse 18. Who is a God like you? Back to the name of the book, Mika. Mikael, who is like our God? Who is a God like you? The implication here is clear. We've touched on this throughout this series. There's nobody like our God. There is no God like Jehovah. There is no God like Yahweh. And the question that you need to ask yourself this Christmas season, and it's a question that you need to ask yourself every day of your life, is God my God? And this is a tension that you will see both in yourself and in the people you know in the midst of the real world. You will encounter people throughout your days who are quick to say that they don't believe in God. All that really means is that they don't believe in some religious idea of God. It probably means that at some point in their life they've had a bad experience with people who claimed allegiance to God. And that bad experience so turned them off that your friend has come to the point where they're rejecting the notion of God. But though they may say they do not believe in God, everybody you know is worshiping some kind of God. God with a small g, not a capital G. And typically, that God that they're worshiping is themselves. So I want to remind you that we are the worshiping race. We are built to worship. And if you are not worshiping the God of the Bible, then you have sworn allegiance to and you are spending your life serving a false God. You don't need to drive this point home too hard with your friends. Their life is difficult enough without you yelling at them about their idolatrous ways. 
Instead, let me suggest that you come alongside them with compassion. And when you have the opportunity to point out why they find themselves at their wit's end, do this only when they ask you, mind you, then you can kindly and gently suggest that maybe they have been placing their affections upon the wrong thing. That's non-religious language for they've been worshiping the wrong God. Who is a God like you? Is God your God? G-O-D, capital G-O-D, is the real God your God? Here's a pro tip for how to know that you're actually following the right God. When you're following the right God, the God of the Bible, you will know it because he is constantly speaking to you, whispering to you, singing to you of death and mercy. This is very different than the gods of pop psychology. This is very different than the gods of Western consumerism. When was the last time you watched a commercial that sang to you of death and mercy? Never. They're always selling you on the upside. They're always saying that if you buy their product, your life will be good. False gods never sing about death and mercy. We get this out of verse 18. Who is a God like you? Here it is. Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. To pardon iniquity means to Jesus it. In the Hebrew here, literally, pardoning iniquity is nasha. Nasha is the word to pardon. And nasha is the back half of the word Yeshua, which is the name for Jesus. To pardon iniquity means to Jesus it. To pass over transgression means literally to roll it. To roll over it. Ve'over al. And he rolls over upon. When you roll over on something, your victory is complete. I say this to my football team all the time. When we're still playing tackle football, Lord willing, one day it will come again. I get in front of those guys. I'm really a good Jesus follower except on game day. That's not true, but kind of. I looked him in the eye and I said, let's roll these fools. Let's, let's roll these kids. He goes, coach. And go out and do, put a whooping on them. That's what's meant to be pictured here. He pardons iniquity. He passes over. He puts a whooping on transgression. Let me remind you that in order for Jesus to have the victory, he had to die. Death begat mercy. It's because God the Father poured out his wrath upon God the Son on Calvary's tree that he is able to show you mercy. What is mercy? It is merit or favor that is undeserved. In your sinfulness, in my sinfulness, we deserve punishments. God is holy. He hates sin. He cannot tolerate it, can't be around it. Yet you've been made to be his friend forever. Yet because of the sin of your first father, Adam, and your first mother, Eve, you have been born into the world with a sin nature, which makes you a constant rebel against God. Here we have the problem at the heart of the human experience. You have all these people made to be God's friends, yet they can't be his friend because of their relentless sinfulness. What's a woman to do? What's a man to do? You need to come to Jesus. Why? Because he died on the cross in your place for your sin. The father punished him instead of punishing you. So that now when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You have been given mercy because of the death of Jesus. 
death and mercy. This is what the real God sings. Very important to remember that in his resurrection, right, we remember the Easter story that Jesus, because he's God the Son made flesh, doesn't stay dead, but after they bury him in a borrowed tomb, the third day, that very first Easter Sunday morning, he rises again in victory, and his victory is an unconquerable victory. His victory is complete, it is once and for all, it is total annihilation of the powers of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. And that is why salvation can roll your enemies now. This is one of the key reasons to come to Jesus. So that you can devote your life to following the unconquered one, the one who rolls over your enemies. And let me borrow one implication from the word roll. When something rolls, what does it build? It builds momentum. It builds momentum as it rolls. New life builds momentum. I want to remind you today that you are not to expect to come to Jesus and to have everything turn into mountaintop experiences from day one. New life is born in your heart. You'll know it, you'll sense it, you'll feel it, and then as you walk with Jesus, new life will build momentum in you. So the second question I want you to ask yourself this Christmas season is have I embraced the paradoxical beauty of death and mercy? Be on alert for the culture trying to woo you with endless songs of beauty without any echo of the death that is required to accomplish mercy in it. Have you embraced the paradoxical beauty of death and mercy? Jesus died to sin so that you can die to self with a big grin on your face. I get this out of verse 18, part B. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Here it is. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That sentence is beautiful in the Hebrew, ki chafatz chesed hu. Ki, because chafatz delights in chesed, grace, who him. He delights in mercy. Receive it today, church. I love you so much. Mercy makes God smile. Mercy makes him smile. When God looks upon you, he looks upon you with a big old goofy grin on his face. Question number three, do you know him as the smiling God? Smile behind your masks right now. You ever notice that when you smile, it makes you feel happier? Are you doing it? I can't see it, I hate this. Smiling, show me those teeth. Let those eyes light up. Don't you feel joy coming into your heart even when you smile? It's a known fact that when you smile, it lifts your mood. Sammy bites you smiling at Pastor Todd. Big smile underneath. Yeah, he's smiling. He's saying, hi, Pastor Todd. Right? Smiling. You ought to be a smiling people because you serve the smiling God. I mean, somebody shout in this house. You ought to be the smiling people because you serve the smiling God. Todd, are you telling us to smile? Don't you know how difficult our life is? Yes, all the more reason why you need to put on a happy face. You can smile because God is smiling at you. And here's like maybe question 3A. This is really important. 
Does the Jesus that you know and the Jesus that you embody to the world around you have a big old goofy grin on his face because mercy is just that beautiful to him? How many times have you run into a grumpy Christian in the world? Grumpy Christians are one of the biggest problems most normal people have with Christianity. Because they look at grumpy, somebody say amen, right? You look at a grumpy Christian, you think, that's the last thing I want to be. They have no fun, right? They don't dance or drink or go with girls who do. That's what they taught me in youth group. You're supposed to laugh at that, right? They don't have any fun, these Christians. Put on a happy face. Make sure that you know God as the smiling God and that that is the God you embody to the world because they need it. Make sure you're following the right Jesus, the smiling, compulsively compassionate, death-conquering, sin-flinging, faithful God who keeps his promises. We get these characteristics as we close out of verses 19 through 20. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Let me tell you about your Jesus. This is so beautiful. It made me weep as I wrote it. He will again receive it, okay? He will again have compassion on us. However many times you need his gentle hand, you will get it. One person ought to say amen. Isn't that just so comforting? I could shout it in this house that however many times you need his gentle hand, you will receive it. That's your Jesus. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of God's prophetic word in Genesis 3.15 where he says that one day the promised son will crush the head of the snake. He will tread, receive it, he will tread your iniquities underfoot. He is very good at stomping on the heads of snakes. Friend, that is what your Jesus will do and is doing for you and in you. He has crushed, he will crush, he is crushing the wages of sin and death in your life. Wave at me if you have seen the effects of sin and death diminishing in your life over time as you follow Jesus. Wave at me and prove it to these people. Right, have you experienced this? I'm not selling you a fake line here. As you walk, it doesn't happen all at once, but as you walk with Jesus, the wages of sin and death become diminishing in your life. They diminish, their effects diminish. Why? Because he will tread your iniquities underfoot. He will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. The word for cast here is tashliach, from the root shalach, which means to throw a spear. I was gonna bring a tennis ball to church today, and I was hoping Chris would be here, Beck, and I was going to throw the ball to Chris. He usually sits up there where Maddie is. I was going to take a tennis ball, and I was going to throw it up to Maddie right there, but then I would have got in trouble because you would have told me that my tennis ball had cooties. So anyway, that's why I didn't bring the tennis ball. So just imagine that Pastor Todd just took a tennis ball, and he shalacht it to Dr. Matt up there, and he just caught it. That's what it means to cast. Think of Jesus as an Olympian who's taking your iniquities and he is casting them into the depths of the sea. Did you ever wonder why Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. 
You ever wonder what that means? If like me, you're a sailor or you love the water, were you ever kind of depressed thinking about the new heavens and the new earth as somewhere with no water? Thinking, how could that be? It doesn't mean there's going to be no water in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21.1 is fulfillment of Micah 7.19. When it says that he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea, and then one day at the inauguration of the new reality, we see that the sea is no more, that somebody shout in this house, this means that the day is coming when all our sins will be completely done away with. The sea that is filled with the iniquities that Pastor Todd threw to Dr. Matt up there, it is going to disappear someday. Sin will perish one day. It is on the way right now. And just like we sometimes see people in our sinful world get sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker until one day they die because Jesus is our risen Lord. Mark my words, you will see that the life of the Christian will get better and better and better woo, and better and better and better until that day when they awaken in his likeness and their sin is no more because the sea has been done away with. Your Jesus will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Why? Because he swore that he would. He swore it to Abraham when he cut his covenant with him in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, here at church, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Where's Jenny? We're like in sync. She's probably downstairs with the kids. Jenny, we're in sync today and you shall become the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Avraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. This to a man with no children who's 99 years old. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Here it is. And I will be their God. God, in Jesus, you have been adopted into that promise. So when God says to Abraham that he will be God to all of Abraham's descendants, that, spiritually speaking, means you. He will be God to you. Is that your Jesus? Do you serve the faithful Jesus? And here's my final question. So band, please join me on stage and get ready to lead us into the presence of the Lord in celebration. Question number five. This is the most important question. This is the one that is tough as all get out. I've just told you through these four questions about your Jesus, what he's like and what he does. Here's question number five. As you seek to live a best ever kind of life. Oh, I can hardly say it. Is your life copying his? Somebody ought to say woo to Pastor Todd. I set you up, didn't I? Except it wasn't me, it was the text. Is your life copying his life? Okay, maybe you may want to stretch out your hands to receive it, or just quietly receive it. He pardons iniquity. Can you learn to forgive as you have been forgiven?
echoing Ephesians 32. He passes over transgression. People are going to keep sinning against you. Because of Jesus, can you stop keeping score and remember their sin no more like Jesus? Echoing Hebrews 8, 12. Do you like this? Aren't these implications life-changing? Not at me. He does not retain his anger. Can you just let it go already? And instead, could you just bear with one another in love? Echoing the words of Colossians 3.13. He delights in mercy. Church, can you put a smile on your face and stop insisting that people get only what they deserve? Somebody shout in this house. Oh, Lord, I'm guilty of that. I want the guilty to get the punishment they deserve. I'm a good kid from a good family who always tried to do good things. I'm the older brother in the parable of the lost son. I'm the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I identify with the older brother who's mad that the younger brother got goodness he did not deserve. And so I need to repent today. And I need to live this Christmas with a smile on my face. And I'm telling you, church, that I am working to stop wanting people to get only what they deserve. And instead, I am coming to the place on my knees where I ask God to give people merit and favor that they do not deserve. For while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me, echoing the words of Romans 5.8. Jesus is compulsively compassionate. He stomps on sin and death whenever he sees it. He casts, oh, Matt's here now. He casts, catch it, Maddie. He casts our sin into the depths of the sea and then he leaves it there until that day when it will be done away with once and forever. He shows faithfulness. He keeps his promise. Here's your tough question. This is my Merry Christmas question to you. Can you do the same? Can you do the same? Because with the power that God supplies, you must you must do the same. You know why? Because that is what a best ever kind of life looks like. And somebody said, amen and amen and amen. Stand with us and join your hearts as we sing to our great God.